Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Amen. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, after 400 years of captivity, Moses is told... Moses is instructed by the Lord. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. From among all the people of the earth, you shall be mine, for all the earth is mine. To be selected to be God's people is not something to overlook. It's something very special and it's not only that that we hear from God, but verse 6, it tells us what God desires. That you shall be to me a kingdom. And I would underline and circle kingdom because that talks about royalty and nobility. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, I've done a little bit of a synopsis going through the Old Testament looking for the end result of God's work in our lives. And I see that the end result is for us to become a prince. God is looking for people that are willing to accept the challenge to be his prince and princesses upon the earth. And this is not a fairy tale. This is a journey that will end up in the expression of Genesis 45, verse 8, which has become my favorite verse in the last six months, and I've quoted it over a hundred times. When Joseph realizes that all the heat in his life, all the trials, all the hardships, all the betrayals, all the, the uncertainties... If you track his life, man, this guy is an overcomer. He perseveres. He wanted to get to the end result of what he one day saw. God would lift him up to be a prince. He told his brothers, and they hated it for him. He told his parents, and they were upset also. They did not understand. But here at the end of his life, he's able to acknowledge, now it was not you who put me through this process it wasn't you who directed me into this direction, but God. And I, I have to think that everything in our lives is, is God tweaking and adjusting and polishing and being able to form in us that which is going to be super useful to Him. Yesterday I was watching how long it took for men to carve a marble piece of the portrait of David in Italy. And how one of the things struck me, Michelangelo, they gave him a big piece of marble. And they say like this, he saw before he carved it, the man he was carving. He was able to see what was inside that 18-foot marble slate. And I'm wondering if God has already seen you in his glory. You in the final product. You at the end of all hardships. So Joseph says, now it wasn't you. I, I, 
I refuse. There's just something in me that refuses to give somebody else the responsibility for what is happening to me. I refuse to give the merit of anybody. As soon as we do that, we were quick to, to signal out why we're not where we want to be, who it was that tripped us up, where we were that didn't allow us. I refuse to see anybody disturb the hand of God over my life. And I say all things work for good. All things have a niche and a purpose. And so God is to be glorified in them all. And we're to rejoice in the midst of hard trials. That's what the Bible says. Count it all joy in the midst of your suffering. For you're being perfected in the way that God desires. So he says, it wasn't you that brought me through here. Say, but God. That's what I like to see. I like to see an omnipotent God. I like to see a God who says, who will disturb my hand from doing what, I, what my pleasure is? Nothing is going to stop God. Nothing, no one is going to stop. But God, He has made me. That's the process. God is making something. If you don't know what He's making, then it's very frustrating when He's sitting there molding you into what He's making you into. And so I thank God that He's making us, what's He making us? A father to Pharaoh. A leader amongst the nations. Not only a father to Pharaoh, but a prince in all his house. That's what they used to call uh, princes in those days, a lord. Second in command. First it was the king, then it was his son. And there's where Joseph sat. He was a ruler of all the land of Egypt. God had brought him full circle. And so two weeks ago we heard about the principles of anarchy. You cannot be trusted, entrusted to a throne if you're in rebellion. That, that, is, that is already established. God does not establish anyone in authority who is a rebel. And so God requires us to learn the way of submission and obedience and servanthood. And being perfected in that suffering of obedience. He learned obedience through the things he suffered, the Bible says, about Jesus Christ. So all hardships are molding us in a direction of God's pleasure. That was two weeks ago, but last week we talked about the principle of world-changing authority. What is authority? How is it established? How is it garnered? We need to be, um, we need to be v- well-versed. We need to, uh, I was telling somebody two days ago, I said, do you know the difference between acting humble And being humble. Do you know the difference between acting humble and being humble? A prince is humble. And a clown acts humble. But if you press him too much, he'll lose his humility. He will prove to you that he cannot withstand the life of humility. So these principles of anarchy, rebellion, principles of those that do not rebel... That walk in submission, obedience, servanthood, suffering, hardship. Romans 8.19 says, The entire earth and all of its creation cannot wait to see God reveal His children. 
For the creation waits with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You, who are these people? Who are these people that God is working on to become his children? Who are these people that are being fashioned in the character of Christ? This has been hidden so deep in the Bible we can't even appreciate it. When I start telling people that we're raising princes, they look at me like, you're a psychopath. What prince? But if you were to look at 1 Samuel 10, 25, as God was establishing his kingdom upon the earth through Israel, the prophet Samuel told the people all the ordinances regarding royalty. And I want to challenge you. How well versed are you in the ordinances of royalty? Samuel taught the people the regulations of the kingdom. We're living a horrific Christianity with a lot of the king's children that are rebelling, doing of their lives what totally is inconsistent with the ordinances of royalty. To be groomed as a prince is not an easy process, but he will one day stand and be ordained to the throne. Because see, it's the prince that is given way to rule over a people. The principles of authority are seen again. And not only did he tell the people about the regulations and ordinances of nobility and royalty as per the kingdom, he wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. And then Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. There were two types of people that day. There were two types of people that day. And there's two types of people that will hear this sermon. And you could see both of them at the following verses at the end of this chapter. In verse 26. When this was done, there went with the keen, valiant men. Whose hearts God had touched. You cannot be in this place and not feel the presence of the Spirit of God. You cannot, you cannot be in this place and hear this word and not know God is touching your heart to your divine call. To your high call in Christ Jesus. And they went with them and their hearts were touched. That means that their hearts were tender. They were willing to receive the instruction. They were willing to walk in God's directions. But there was also a sort of worthless fellows there on verse 27 whose hearts were not touched. Verse 27, they say, but certain worthless fellows. They sat there and said, how shall this be the game plan? And they despised what was going on, and they consider it not special, bringing him no present. But he didn't concern himself about these latter folk. He didn't concern himself. The Bible says, leave a fool to his folly. Don't teach a fool lest he hate you. Don't correct a mocker, because then he will, he will return animosity. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at with regards to these regulations and ordinances. Without a prince, there can be no future king. 
without prince training and preparation and ordinances and regulations of the kingdom, there cannot be healthy rule and purpose. In 1931, to the throne of England came King Edward VIII. From 1894 to 1931, King Edward became the cool prince. He had several names, the Duke of Windsor, the Prince Edward. He was called the Prince of Wales. Edward, the Prince of Wales. And everybody liked him. He had incredible grooming as a prince. He went to Oxford University. He went to the Naval Academy. In Dartmouth, he was trained up in all the ways of royalty. The people liked him so much, he was so cool, he was always cutting corners. So when his father, King George V, dies at the age of 31, no, it was 1931, that this man takes the throne. He takes the throne and he begins to play around with what he's prepared for to lead England. And he tells Parliament that he has fallen in love with a woman who's been married twice and was presently married at the time he had a relationship with her. And the Parliament told him, that's not the type of woman for you. That's that we will not permit for you to continue on being a king if you choose the wrong woman. And so not even a year into his throne, into his kingdom, into his kingship, he decides to abdicate the throne. He says, I don't want to be king. Well, the the fact is that his lack of character did not allow him to do what he was groomed to do, which was to lead his people. His younger brother had to take his place in World War II. As Hitler came into France, he began to give secret, uh, secrets of war to Hitler so they could destroy and overcome France. And then he gave secrets to Hitler to overthrow England, his own country. He began to betray his people. And so Winston Churchill, the prime minister, and his brother said, You need to leave, and you need to leave now. And they sent him to a little island on the Caribbean called the Bahamas. And they say, you can be the one who overlooks the Bahamas. Because that is the degree of your capacity and competence. That is the degree of your integrity and character. You're not fit to take care of England. The day he left England, Hitler and the Nazis began to rain bombs all throughout London. And there was no king there who had been called to cover for the people, to protect the people, to take on his responsibility. I'm wondering if God has called you. 1 Peter 2.9, it says, you are what God has chosen. You are his royalty. That's the word that's used in the New Testament. You are a special kind of people. You are royalty, nobility. You are a holy nation, a people for God's possession. What for? So that you can show the world. That's what the word proclamation means. 
to tell all people of God's excellence. You imagine going to the world and telling them what, what Bianca has just said today? Listen, listen to what she says. I, we have never known the family. We've never known order. All we have known is darkness and destruction. Yoah says, we, I've never knew there was a sense of real family and commitment. I never knew there was a community that loved each other for free. What is this? And you can proclaim this is the kingdom of God. This is the goodness of the Lord. This is what God is doing in the earth in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. That you might proclaim excellence. There's many that have done well, but you far surpass them all. This he who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm telling you, at the age of 16, when I started seeing what Christians were living, I said, this is a lie. This cannot be true. This is a fairy tale. These people go around like if they're living a dream. And I challenged God. And I'm telling you, 30 years later, my life is a dream. The goodness of the Lord is all over me. I'm, I'm living the kingdom of God. I'm a prince amongst his people. Because of grooming, because of discipline. Because of faithfulness, because of obedience. These principles are the principles of his kingdom. My favorite verse is 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 8. He finds us at the dunghill. The crap house. He raises us up out of the poor, out of the dust. He lifts the needy, that was me, from the dunghill. That's the sewer. To make them sit as princes. To inherit a throne of glory. These are the pillars of the earth that are set by God himself in the world. He set columns. He set truth. He set principles. Why a prince? Because we have learned his principles. And if we embrace them, we dignify all things. From the dung house to the palace. These are the principles that we have learned. Now, young men like David who, who God selected as a young man. And if you're a young man under the age of 20 and God has started talking to you and knocking on your heart, you are privileged and highly honored. Privileged and highly honored. Some of the men come here at 60 years old saying, I missed it. I missed it. It says there in Psalm 37 verse 25. As this young man says, I was young. I was young. And now I'm old. And the pathway of God is that the righteous are never forsaken. They are never forgotten. God is, his eyes are upon the earth moving on behalf of those that stand correctly before him. This is what I live for. Is it God, where do you want me to sit? Where do you want me to be? Because I want to have a divine appointment with my destiny. I don't want to be chasing my tail. I don't want to be doing circles in the desert. Yet I have seen this, that the righteous has never been forsaken. And the prince, his children, will not be begging for bread. This is the, the provisions of God on a daily basis. I see it and I, I marvel. 
I marvel God's divine appointments, His divine provisions, His divine goodness. The Bible says, while the world is seeking to and fro, they're seeking their provision, you have a Father in heaven who knows that the provision is set aside. Matthew 6, 25, therefore do not worry about your life. Do not concern yourself about these matters. Don't be anxious. This is what my mom first told me as I first took my first baby step in the Lord. She says, you can tell a real Christian he knows how to wait upon the Lord. Like, I don't like that. What do you mean wait? What is this? What you will eat, what you will drink, what your body will wear, what you will... Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Verse 26. See the birds of the sky that they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of much more value than them? Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add anything to your life? Good luck trying to make your life work. God already has it planned and prepared, and it's glorious. The Bible says Solomon, who was a prince, because of his desperate running around trying to get things for himself, he missed it and hated life and hated his work. And he had to learn that there was a time and a season to everything under heaven. And you need to be a man who knows times and seasons. And the Bible says it's time to seek the Lord as a priority. To seek Him. Verse 28. Why do you worry about things? See the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was able to dress like one of these. You know, I, I challenge as a young man, I would look into, I was 19, and I looked into men that were 26, and I'm like, okay, how did they do with their life? Okay, one's a drunkard, one's a lazy man, one's a, and guess what? I said, I'm going to do the will of God. So when I'm 26, the splendor of his glory is upon my life. That I can attain to everything God has prepared, that I not miss my destiny. Solomon missed it, trying to dress himself with splendor. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, verse 30, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he not clothe you, adorn you, array you? So do not worry saying what we're going to eat, how we're going to live, what are we going to wear. Verse 32, for it's those who do not know God that run after these things. It's those that do not have a relationship with God, that do not understand the roadmap, that pursue these things. Underline these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The full bastion of his extravagant love poured out upon you for his glory. There are not many people willing to wear God's glory. But seek first the kingdom. Press into being found right with him, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own affairs of anxiety and anxiousness. Each day brings with it its troubles. 
Psalm 112, verse 1. There's a special blessing in a man who's able to hear and to receive and to set his life apart for God. Praise the Lord and blessed is the man who walks in the fear of God, who delights greatly in God's instructions. He will leave an inheritance to his children. His children will be mighty upon the land. You know, one of the things that, that I resent about this much is that my grandfathers and my granduncles and those who went before me chased the glory of this world. And when I was ready to receive, all I had was ashes for glory. All I had was embarrassment and shame. The stories of bankruptcy, of destroyed relationships. A lot of those stories we can't even hear because they're so embarrassing and shameful. But if you fear God and let the Lord array you and adorn you, your children are going to go, yes, Dad, thank you. Thank you for setting me up in a in glorious inheritance. His seed will be mighty upon the land. The generation of those who stand upright before God will, 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 will be blessed. There is no negative impact here. Verse 3 says, wealth and riches are in his house. And these things that are right, they come from the Lord. They don't have a season of passing away. They don't have a season of sorrow. They don't have a season of not enduring. For this endures forever. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes one wealthy and adds no trouble to it. Adds no sorrow. It's important that we understand Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all the things I need according to his glorious plan and riches in Christ. I would like to know the format of God's seasons. The format of God's preparations. The format of God's gifting. Where are you in relationship to obedience, in relationship to humility, in relationship to service? Where are you? Where are you in this game plan of God? And we see in the Bible that, that God has not chosen the brilliant. 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, Look around, my brother, there are not many of you that qualify according to human estimates and standards. There's not many of you that are influential and powerful. There's not many of you that are high and mighty and of noble birth. We're not downloading what a previous generation has given us. Verse 27, for God selected the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world that he might put to shame the things that are strong. Verse 28, God has selected what in this world is low and insignificant and treated with disrespect and despised. The things that are not, that he might bring to nothing the things that are. And this is for no man to boast in his presence. When you start living as a life of a prince, you know where the splendor is coming from. You know what God is doing. 
We have the distinction of two kings in the Old Testament. The first king, King Saul. 1 Samuel 9.21, he says that he was the smallest. He, he, he came from the smallest insignificant tribe of Israel. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? In other words, I'm not qualified, pastor. I am, I am small, insignificant, weak. And my family, the least of all the families in the church. Why then do you speak to me like you're speaking tonight? David also in 1 Samuel 16, 11, They didn't even call him when they're choosing the next king of Israel. They didn't even consider him worthy to fall in the candidacy and the lineup. Are all your children here? Samuel asked Jesse. He says, there remains yet the youngest He's out there doing the insignificant. And the prophet said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. I didn't think I was qualified either, but that was just the voice of Satan. That was the voice of the enemy, because he knew what God wanted to do. I want to encourage you that you begin to see the development of these kings, both Saul and And both David, insignificant in their beginning. They're there for our instruction. And David had forgot in a certain season how small he was. So in 2 Samuel 7, God had to remind him. Verse 8. Reading 2 Samuel 7, 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from a sheepfold. I took you when you were nothing. You were following a few sheep. And I had the purpose to make you a ruler over my people, over Israel. And it has been me. This is a powerful, verse 9, a powerful reality of God's eyes upon us. From the time he chose you, you weren't even looking. You didn't even think God had noticed when you were just small and insignificant. He says, my eyes have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut all those who have stood against you as your enemies. I have cut them away from before you. And I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones who are on the earth. Anybody hearing the spirit of God? The devil has the proverbial carrot in front of your nose and you continue to to follow his attractions, his deceptions, his disguise away from your calling, away from the truth of God, the, the veracity, the genuineness of his promises. 1 Samuel 9, 2, it says that Saul was a handsome young man. There were not many more handsome men in, among him in Israel. He had a son whose name was Saul, an impressive young man. And there was not among the children of Israel a better person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the other people. He was prepared for Great things that God had destined them for. 1 Samuel 16, 12. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and countenance. He was of a handsome appearance. This was David as a young man. 
Arise and anoint him, for this is he. In Psalm 78, verse 70, the psalm recollects this season of David's life. He also chose David his servant and took him from behind the sheepfolds. Verse 71, from following the ewes that have their young, and he brought him to be the shepherd of Jacob, his people. And he gave him Israel as an inheritance. I see the young men that God has put, the families God has put here, even the ones that are still unborn like my grandchildren. And I could see their inheritance in Christ. I could see what God wants to do with them. 1 Samuel 10.1. Samuel takes a flask of oil representing the Holy Spirit, ordaining he pours it on his head. He kissed him. Has not the Lord anointed you to be ruler over his inheritance long before he was? Anointed you to be prince, to come and rule his people. 1 Samuel 16, 13. In front of his brothers and his father, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David. As his brothers watched the Spirit of God came upon him mightily from that day forward. From that day forward, there was a destiny to be kept. Now, the difference between one man and the other is obedience. 1 Samuel 13, 13, Samuel shows up to Saul and says, You have done as a fool. You have not obeyed the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded you. For now, God would have made you his prince in your kingdom in Israel. Say with me, forever. If you act like a fool, you're not entrusted. If you act like a wise man, you're entrusted. But this man acted as a fool. How? By not being obedient, not being able to keep commands. These are training periods. They're little things. Instead of listening to God and doing what you're supposed to do in the house of God, being trained up as a prince, now you go to the world. And now they have you running around like a chicken with your head cut off, making you like Samson to be a fool, to pluck your eyes out, to destroy you. Because you're not a prince of this world. You're a prince unto God. You're to live for his glory, for his obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 3, as Saul was told, you go there and do this. Utterly destroy the enemies. Do not spare one. Don't hang out with them. Don't go here. Don't hang out with their men, their women, their infants, their nursing ox. Don't hang out with the sheep. Don't hang out with the donkeys. Those were the instructions he had received. And he could not listen. He could not obey. So 1 Samuel 13, 14. He says, because you have not been able to obey, your kingdom shall not continue. And God has sought for himself another man, a man after his own heart. God has appointed him to be a prince over his people. Because you have not had the ability to keep and watch that which God commands you. It's about this big right now. But one day there will be nations. 
One day it'll be a lot of things that God is going to expect you to hear and to obey. Real powerful things. We see the heart of David in 1 Samuel 17, verse 15, that after he killed Goliath, even when he was to be a national prominently champion, he had done great things. Now David went back and forth from the palace to his father's house to continue to feed the sheep at Bethlehem. He continued to do the little things. He didn't see them as something offensive. He continued to be, say with me, faithful. Even in prominence, he attended to the Lord's house, to his father's house. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. He's the prince of peace. He's the prince of glory. He sits on the throne forevermore. Let this mind be in you that was also in him. It's powerful. He was 30 years old and he continued to go about saying, I always let this mind be in you that was in Christ. John 8, 29. I always do what pleases my father. I keep his commands. He's 30 years old. He who sent me is with me. The father hasn't left me. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Powerful. I don't know if it's John 5, 19. Let's try that out. Most certainly I tell you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. And whatever things he does, these the son also does likewise. I want the, the inheritance I have from my father. So let this mind, Philippians 2.5, be in you that was also in Christ, being in the form of God. He had the capacity to do a million things. He could have created other worlds and told his father, hey, psst, relax. I'm creating another universe here. But he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of man. Verse 8, he was found in the appearance of man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. Therefore, verse 9, therefore, for this reason, God exalted him highly. And gave him a name which is above every name. I'm challenging you tonight to hear the words of the Lord. To know that there's a divine appointment that you're to keep. I love the legacy of David seeing a man after God's own heart. 1 Kings 14.8 You have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only that which was right in my sight. That wasn't your aim. I want to challenge you and ask the musicians to come forward. Where do you stand tonight as God challenges you to return to a place of your high calling, Christ Jesus. Be faithful, 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 faithful. Obey, 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 obey. Walk in humility, humility, humility. Submit, submit, submit. Be recognized against you uh, uh, here in, in the presence of your brethren that you take God serious than any other thing in this life. And I want to tell you, there's nothing more promising. 
than to you receive your inheritance in God. And there is your wife. There are your beautiful kids. There's a legacy of blessing. There is finances that flow from the throne of his grace in measures of abundance. You will lack no good thing, the Bible says. But worship him with a pure heart and with clean hands. Don't take moral shortcuts. Don't be a people pleaser. Don't despair when you see trouble and adversity. Overcome. You have a divine destiny. You have a precious and high call. Don't lose your inheritance in Christ. Let's stand tonight. As we press into these matters and they become part of our DNA, they become part of our heart, we can't live without them. I'm telling you, between being a clown and hanging out at a circus or being a prince and inheriting a a, a place of palatial, a palace, a castle, a life surrounded by the goodness of God, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to drink out of the gutter. Wellington Boone says, the Lord took me out of not the gutter, the ghetto gutter, the low of the low, and has lifted him up to be a prince amongst his people. A prince. A man who walks with dignity, integrity. A man whose words are measured, whose expressions are are totally the expression of Christ. He walks around with some fish worms in his pocket. So when somebody gets him upset, he goes in there, he goes, okay, just be like a worm. You don't want to have the serpent attitude. You don't want to get offended. You don't want to react. You don't want to be venomous. You don't want to have unforgiveness in your heart. You don't want roots of bitterness to take place. And he prays like that. He grabs onto his worms. He says, I need to be a prince. He says, it's the low road to new heights. If we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. If we trust him, he'll fight our battles. Let no one steal your crown, the Bible says. Let no one steal your crown. As we sing this song, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and talk with God. And allow his spirit to minister to your heart.